0: Question two, article six, Thomas Aquinas is going to consider whether pleasure could in fact be human happiness or not. And he's gonna provide some arguments for that, which are called objections in the text. And then he's going to clarify the issue and tell us why pleasure, although it is a good, cannot be human happiness as such. And this is a very common doctrine. Thomas brings up some examples from. From ancient and medieval philosophy it was a big issue back then people thinking that if i could just have a life of enjoyment i would truly be happy it's a very common issue in our own time and it was during his own time as well the so-called age of faith because human nature is attracted to to pleasure and thomas is going to give us some reasoning why that's the, the case so why do people think pleasure is happiness these aren't the only possible reasons that one could come up with but there's are the ones that thomas considers he says since happiness is the last end it's not desired for something else but other things for it but this answers to pleasure more than anything else and he quotes aristotle it's absurd to ask anyone what is his motive in wishing to be pleased wishing to have pleasure so pleasure and delight these would be then what it is that we most genuinely desire and then that would be happiness if we can actually get it and sustain pleasure over time Now that's an interesting argument, and we'll come back to that in a bit. He also talks about it in a more metaphysical way. There's an analysis that's going on here that's quite interesting. He says that the first cause, that is the cause that's, beginning something in causality, goes more deeply into the effect than the second cause. And he's quoting this De Causuis, which is a pseudo Aristotelian work. He says, now the causality of the end consists in attracting the appetite. So Thomas uses Aristotle's four causes, formal material, efficient, and final. The final is the end, the thing that is drawing something, the purpose, the goal. And so the most final end is happiness now Quinas tells us something very interesting here he says that seemingly that which most moves the appetite answers to the notion of the last end and this is pleasure why he says, well, a sign of this, now this is an experience that we can certainly relate to, is that delight, delectatio, so far absorbs a human being's will, the faculty of will, voluntas, and reason, ratio, that it causes that person to despise other goods. So pleasure or the promise of pleasure, as he says, absorbed in Latin, it's actually absorb it, right? That's a cognate there. It takes us in it. You could say swamps us. It takes us over and says, leave that stuff alone. Go get that right there. Cause that's going to give you pleasure. And although we do have free will and we do have a powerful intellect or, you know, faculty of reason, it's quite possible for pleasure to take us over in that way. Is it not? The appetite for pleasure. So that would be saying that the human being's last end, the most fundamental, the first cause, which is the last end, would be pleasure. The third argument is a little bit of a weaker one. What all desire is best, since desire is for good. What do all things desire? delight or pleasure, delectatio or voluptas, both wise and foolish and even irrational creatures. Therefore, pleasure is the best of all. Therefore, happiness, which is the supreme good, consists in pleasure. Were this to be correct, then hedonism would be the correct moral philosophy. Thomas doesn't think that's the case. And so what's the basis for this? So Thomas engages in an analysis here that it's less like the earlier arguments about wealth or honor or anything like that. It's more about the essence of human beings. First of all, he points out, because bodily delights are more generally known, the name of pleasure has been appropriated to them, although other delights excel them, and yet happiness does not consist in them. So he's making a distinction between bodily pleasures and what we could call spiritual or mental pleasures. Bodily pleasures are what everybody knows, including irrational animals. Mental pleasures may be known to some degree by some humans, but can be known much more by other humans. It's the difference between wisdom and and foolishness. Now, as he tells us, every delight is what he calls a proper accident. So we need to think about what that means. He says, in everything, what pertains to its essence is distinct from its proper accident. So what is the essence? The essence is what makes us what we are or what makes this piece of chalk what it is, right? Things have essences according to Thomas. A proper accident is something that is distinctive to that sort of thing, but is not actually of its essence. So he has the example here. A human being can be defined as rational animal, and that is indeed rational mortal animal. That is indeed what Thomas takes to be the human essence a risible animal, an animal that laughs, an animal that has a sense of humor, he takes to be a proper accident. Proper means that it's distinctive of that particular kind of thing, right? So we could say, you know, this is a, It's got an essence of some sort. Whiteness is not really a proper accident because there's all sorts of other things that are white. I don't actually have any white things on me right now. I mean, I do have this ring, which is silvery, which is kind of white. So let's pretend that it's actually white, right? Let's pretend it was a plastic ring. Say, well, whiteness is not a proper accident. Neither is being cylindrical, but maybe there are some proper accidents of truck, but there are proper accidents of human beings that can be connected to their essence, but are not their essence. So what's the upshot of this for pleasure? He says, we must consider that every delight is a proper accident arising from or resulting from happiness or some part of happiness. So it's not happiness itself. It's something that, results from happiness it arises it flows from it it's a byproduct if you will but it's not a byproduct as something that's purely accidental something that's totally disconnected from it it is you know involved with happiness so he tells us why is this the case a person is delighted. Why? Because they have some fitting good, a bonum convenience, something that is appropriate to their nature. So, you know, for example, we like maybe taking baths, right? And sitting in the sun. And so that is appropriate to our nature in a certain sense. Although you could live your life without taking baths, you know, you just take showers instead. Maybe you take vitamin D instead of going out in the sun. But a crocodile, the way that it lays in the mud and and waits around. Down for something to eat and enjoys the sun and stuff like that, that wouldn't be that pleasant for us. I mean, unless you imagine yourself to be a crocodile, right? You're some sort of a crocodile cosplayer or fetishist or whatever it happens to be, right? Another great example, perhaps more on point deer love eating various vegetation that we don't really eat in part because our mouths are not adapted for it. And if you ate the stuff that they eat, you'd be like, oh, this tastes like crap. I, I don't want to eat this, but if if you did manage to chew it up, which would be hard to do and then swallow it, your stomach is not set up to process cellulose deers are what's good for them. What produces pleasure for them doesn't produce pleasure for us. So the bonum conveniens, the good that is befitting to us in some way. And now here Thomas makes a bunch of different distinctions. These are good to keep in mind. So he says, the reason why we're delighted is we have some fitting good either in reality, in actuality, or in hope, which is projective. We already take pleasure in things that we don't have, or in memory, we remember back to pleasures that we did have. So we have past, present, and future there. And he says a fitting good, if it is the perfect good, is happiness, right? So the big H happiness is one fitting good. If it's imperfect, it's a share of happiness. It's a a portion of happiness, either proximate nearby or remote. And then he says, or at least apparent. We can think that some things play a role in happiness and be wrong about that and take pleasure when we hope that we're going to get them. Of course, when we do get them, then we're not quite so happy, are we? So that really helps us out when understanding pleasures of the mind. He says, it's evident neither is delight, which results from the perfect good, the very essence of happiness, but something resulting from it as its proper accident. So pleasure is connected with happiness, but it's not happiness itself. And if a person did get what is happiness itself, which for Thomas is gonna consist in a relation to God, and they weren't enjoying that, that would be a sign that there's something wrong in that case, right? They wouldn't be seeing that as a bonum convenience when it comes to bodily pleasure he says bodily pleasure cannot result from the perfect good even in that way why because it's apprehended by sense which is a power of the soul which power makes use of the body the good pertaining to body and apprehended by sense cannot be our perfect good why The rational soul excels the capacity of corporeal matter. Again, we're getting a metaphysical analysis here, right? The part of the soul which is independent of a corporeal organ has, he says, a certain infinity, an unlimitedness in regard to the body and those parts of the soul which are tied down to the body. And then he says the things that we perceive through the senses and derive pleasure from, those are singulars. And it might be useful to think of an example here. Think about eating a chocolate bar if you like chocolate. You know, some people don't. Some people are allergic to it as well. Let's assume you're not. And it's whatever favorite bar you've got, right? So you eat a bit and you chew it up and you're tasting it with your tongue and there's other things going on. You know, your sense of smell is involved and there's probably other things going on as well that are contributing to the total enjoyment of this bite of the chocolate bar. Then it's gone. Take another bite, right? Those are singular experiences that you're having. Now you can try to remember to yourself what it was like to chew on the chocolate bar, and depending on how good of a memory you have, you can awaken that more or less, you can anticipate what it's going to be like, but it's all the sense things are singular, and they don't last over time, And you can enjoy this one without enjoying this one. You know, you have to put them all together into sort of a continuum. If you want to keep enjoying it for a long time, that's not really happiness for Thomas, right? He says sense knows the singular, the intellect, which is a power independent of matter knows the universal. It's evident that the good that is fitting to the body and which causes bodily delight by being apprehended by sense is not our perfect good, but is as a trifle compared with the good of the soul. So bodily pleasure, he says, is neither happiness nor a proper accident of happiness. The way that spiritual or mental pleasure is a proper accident of happiness. So uh, when we consider pleasure, we see that pleasure is not going to be the good. I think it's good that we do consider one of the responses to the objections. He says that... We can ask ourselves a question. is it delight or pleasure that we really desire, or is it the good thing, the object as he calls it, using it in a somewhat different sense of that delight, the thing that's going to give us that delight. We really want the good, and the pleasure that results from it is sort of, like I said, a side product. It's a, as Thomas is calling it, a proper accident, an effect of that. So delight, he says, is desirable for something else. The good, which is the object of that delight and consequently is its principle and gives it its form. So we can go on as well and look at some of the other objections. He he tells us that the vehemence of desire for sensible delight arises from the fact that the operation of the senses are more perceptible. Since we learn the senses earlier on, it's easy for intellect and will to get drawn in. That doesn't mean that that's how things ought to go. And then finally, his third reply says, all desire delight in the same way as they desire good, and yet they desire delight by reason of the good, not conversely. So it doesn't follow that delight is the supreme and essential good, but that every delight results from some good and some delight results from that, which is the essential and supreme good. So again, we see why pleasure itself cannot be human happiness as such, although it has a very close connection to human happiness as at least in terms of the mental pleasures as being a proper accident of enjoying the good.